Ready to rock and roll. You're listening to Why We Do What We Do. Hello, this is your host, Abraham. And Ryan O. So this is Why We Do What We Do. Your favorite consumable psychology podcast. Hey, Ryan O, what were you listening to this morning? I was listening to the new Ed Sheeran album, actually, because it just released, and I listened to it front to back. Cool. Uh, did you did you check it out by chance? It's not uh, necessarily your type no. of music, I don't think, but... Nope, didn't know that that was a thing. He did a... So it's a six album. He did a, a compilation, or sorry, a, it was all collabs, which I think is always pretty cool when somebody's like really outside of their norm. And then he collabed with just so like every song is a different collaboration. So anyhow, pretty cool. I think uh, I'm going to keep my opinions about that to myself. <laughs> listen, what did you listen to this morning? You know, I was actually listening to old albums that like my friends made when they were in bands in high school. And not really any reason other than I found them as I was sort of cleaning up some files on my computer and thought I should put these on my phone and listen to them. Do you and remember when we first met and you gave me a whole lot of music to listen to? We like swapped our I libraries. Do. Yeah. Yeah. I do remember that. Do you remember that horrible mean trick that like, but well-played trick that you played on me too? No. Okay. So <laughs> this is like 2009 or 10. Abraham gives me uh, his library of his favorites and I give him some of my favorites at the time. And I remember listening through, and it was about two weeks, and you were putting the pressure on me to like listen to certain bands, not in like a bad way, but you were just like, have you listened to this band yet? And I was like, no, I will soon. And like we swapped like, <laughs> I feel like it was like 40 gigs of music or something. Or <laughs> Dozens of albums, of probably. Yeah, it was a ton. And uh, there was one band that you asked me what I had thought of them. And I was like, oh, yeah, not really my thing, man. Like, I didn't really like, I thought the quality was like so-so and like, couldn't really understand and stuff like that. And you're like, oh, okay. And I was like, why? And you're like, that was my band. I was the drummer. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I do, I do remember this. Now. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I would have gave a totally different answer had I known it was his band. But at the same exactly. time, like you got the most raw, honest answer because of the way that you asked the question. See, <laughs> and I, can I, can I tell everyone about the band, like the title? Sure. It was the scourge of Carpathia. Oh yeah. That one. Yep. Yeah. I remember the the album cover kind of loosely of your other band, but uh, that you were in. But uh, yeah, man, <laughs> musical preference. That's, yeah, that's a great memory to look back on now. That sure. was ten and years ago. Yeah, right. I was just thinking that when you said two thousand nine, and I was thinking, man, that was a long. That was a decade ago. Yeah, it was either nine or ten. We're getting old quick. <laughs> Someone who was born when I gave you that music is ten years old now, which is weird to think about. But that's a way of thinking about time. That is something I do sometimes. Do we even answer what you listened to this morning? Yeah, I was listening to bands from my old high school friends. Okay, there we go. Yeah, that's who yeah. got on to this. <laughs> but um, I was going to ask, do you like Christmas music? I enjoy some Christmas music with the right people, obviously, at the right time of year. Okay. Uh, how about you? And No, um, it's one of those genres that... <laughs> no. <laughs> no. It's... <laughs> I've I've got it's so saturated during the Christmas season that it's just become completely grating on my ears. I mean that's that, kind of that's part of it. Like there's a few like tapes, like actual what were those? Not eight tracks, but like the cassettes. Cassettes, yeah. There's like certain cassettes that my mom <laughs> used to play. Um, so if I if I listen to those with my family, like on Christmas Eve, then I totally enjoy it. 
Um, but okay. I hate when it's playing in like October, you know? Yeah, it's months of it, and it's just the same handful of things, the same handful of chords, the same handful of tunes and jingles and lyrics, and I just am, I just get very over it very quickly, mostly immediately anymore. So <laughs> let it's me, been so long. Let me ask this to uh, to you: What do you like, Abraham, to listen to? I like, very generally speaking, rock music. You and I, as Everyone will have heard at this point because we swapped our library a while back. Definitely have some overlapping taste there. And by I rock, tend... you you don't mean like uh, Shine Down or Nickelback or <laughs> or like Imagine Dragons or like anything <laughs> that may be interpreted as rock, right? Do do you know that Nickelback is our longest running joke on this show? <laughs> like longest, I, I just. <laughs> I, I I hope I hope it I I partially hope it lasts forever. But like, man, could we just be done talking about them? Like, <laughs> it it is pretty amusing. I, I'm I hope that it it goes on at least a little bit longer. But no, not like those. Um, but more on the much heavier, much more aggressive side, metal uh, type things is is what I like to listen yeah. to. Yeah. Um, and I do like quite a few other things. I just also really, really like metal. And if I put on something, it's probably going to be metal. Do you think we just got a raging review by some Nickelback lover in in Apple Podcasts? I hope so. <laughs> it was ragingly in love. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I, I guess to, to soften part of this is we both uh, played instruments and just got into like weird time signatures and understanding yeah, all this weird keys and... and yeah. Um, a lot of what's played on mainstream radio is four, four timing. And it's the same, it's really, really similar despite how much work those artists put into those sort of things. It's just not, uh, as I don't know, in depth as some of the stuff that we got into. So that's why we make these running jokes. At least from my experience, it's once you like understand how it's composed, how it's put together, all the different elements that make it up. When you start to hear something that sounds like someone spent all of the length of the song thinking about how to write it, they're like, I got these four chords. I got this 4-4 time signature. I've got this drum machine on my computer. Album finished. We used and to challenge ourselves when I played just like in a fun little garage man during college we used to challenge ourselves in five hours to make a complete song out of what you just described a drum machine yeah we had fruity loops and a couple guitars and we'd see what we could do before it was like party mode um on saturdays it took us 12 weeks to write 12 songs in that format it was Mm -hmm. five hours times 12 so what is that 60 hours and we had like a quote album's worth and i was horrible and it's not necessarily (laughs) like we were like good at writing it was stuff where people would be like oh what's this i haven't heard of this before i'm like yeah we wrote that today (laughs) like we made it a whole song because of the simplicity of that stuff I feel like we're right, getting really yeah. off topic. Sorry. That's okay. Yeah. Well, so let's let's bring it back to what what do you like to listen to now? Let's let's go that for for you. Oh man, I listen to a lot of like certain types of EDM. I'd say uh, like Elenium is one of the bands or creators, I guess, that I'm really into right now. You ever heard of Elenium? No. I'm really into the same typical kind of like. I don't know what to call them necessarily, like metal, hardcore, uh, A Day to Remember, and those sort of bands, Bring the Horizon, um, although their genres are shifting into pop and stuff. I listen to T-Swift. I'm not embarrassed to say I listen to T-Swift. Um, I keep up with things like T-Swift and the Ed Sheerans, like what's coming out Okay. Um, a little bit. 
I listen to more country than I ever thought I would in my life. <laughs> I know that's the <laughs> part that you and I differ on. I was originally uh, grew up in this small town where there was two radio stations. There was a classic rock and a country. And so I, I grew up listening to a lot of country. And then I had a uh, girlfriend that listened to it nonstop. And after that breakup, I just kind of was like, I'm done with this for four years. And then mm. I realized that I should probably listen to it again because I don't need to like avoid things in my life because of other people. Sorry. And so I got there back. There are better in- reasons to avoid country. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I got back into country. Sorry. And- <laughs> Sorry, everyone who likes country. <laughs> well, and I'll play the devil's advocate. I got back into it. And it's like, dude, it's that 4-4 timing sort of basic stuff that like I yeah. I just listen to. And it's because people around me listen to it. Um, I don't put it on like like on my like by myself necessarily. But um, I made this rule where I only listen to it in the car until I kind of got over that like thoughts of other people that was being brought up because of it. Um, got it. So anyhow, I listened to that. What else? It made me think a lot. Well, I think what I wanted to segue to is you actually already sort of alluded to this, but has your music preference changed over time that you've noticed? hundred percent. Um, yeah. Dude, I can like this is great. I I just like heard a Soundgarden song in my head from like middle school. Wow, (laughs) nice. I'm glad I'm glad I could evoke that for you. (laughs) But like I'm looking at uh, my Spotify here, and um, hold on, what's the? Do you remember the very first album you ever got? Dude, you're talking like Napster days when I was like downloading stuff. No, Garth Brooks. I got a Garth Brooks album. He was the first concert I went to as well. Yeah. <laughs> we'll eventually get to the That's, psychology of this stuff, right? Yeah, we're, we're, we're working up to it. What was your um, first album? It was one of two things. I'm tr- I can't remember which one came first, but it was either Tub Thumper by Chumbawamba or it was the the second album, I think, from Matchbox 20. Okay. Um, yourself or Someone Like that's You, a, I think is what the school, album was called. That's a high school memory. Dude, the Matchbox album um, that I listened to yeah. was 12 straight bangers after bangers after bangers. I can sing every word on that album still. So good. <laughs> nice. Um, dude, I listened. Yeah. I was looking at like, it's all over the place. I listen and stream to about six hours a day minimum, just like because it's in the background when I'm when I'm wow. going. And it's changed all over the place. It changes week to week sometimes a bit. Okay. Yeah, I mean, there's there's just a tremendously wide variety of types of music and and other forms of sort of auditory art, if you will, that's designed to engage the audience through that kind of stimulation, which is to say they're hearing or something like that. And that we we can't even really give the range or genres a description in terms of like how many types of music there are. So we'll just say there's, there's infinity, there's infinity yeah. genres of music. And three quick points. Um, I'm always fascinated that things ne- aren't, are necessarily like still created. There's been so many humans pick up the same instruments and like, it's still novel music coming out all the time, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I did see, uh, I was trying to communicate with them to like go visit them and like do a video on, uh, a device that was allowing people that can't hear to be able to feel it through, Uh, like a full body suit but it's like kind of built in like it doesn't look ridiculous like it looks like you're you're wearing like the the clothes that you should be wearing for that like genre of music okay Um, and it dude it was really cool i'll try to find it and we'll 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 commit to finding it for the uh the show notes um and then the other thing is i heard of a startup that's working on an ai system that creates music and the algorithms 
goal is to create all possible music ever so that they can wow. license it and that they can like then be the billion dollar single owner of 99.999% of all music that's ever been made in the world, which I don't know if it'll ever happen, but those are some of the crazy things I've experienced in music the last few weeks. Huh. Interesting. All right. So <laughs> just thinking more about music and sort of how it has changed, not even just our own preferences. But if you think back about a couple of centuries ago, you could really describe most music as being sort of rhythmic pattern sounds produced by manipulating an instrument or voice. And that would be pretty accurate to describe what music is. However, with experimentation of the avant-garde movement in, in like the 1900s, people really began to push the idea that any sounds could be thought of as musical and, and kind of started to move away from song structure and even away from trying to produce things that sounded pleasant and just making new sounds or trying to emphasize commonly ignored sounds. And so again, trying to define music at this point has become kind of a nebulous, arbitrary, and ultimately, I think, pointless task. But generally speaking, you kind of have this most people would think of music as this rhythmic pattern sounds that are manipulated by anymore by pressing the space bar on a computer, but also sometimes playing an instrument or using your voice to do something. So anyway, for, for example of this idea of the avant-garde thing, there was one, I, don't, I guess you could call it a concert, but one demonstration that I saw where someone placed screws in between the strings of a piano, and then they would just kind of lean on random keys of the piano with their elbows. And then that was a demonstration of their, I guess the statement there just sort of being, hey, we think that noise is cool. And rather than follow really strict conventions about what music is, can be or should be let's just make a bunch of noise intentionally and then that is going to be the thing that we really try and be mindful of noticing what's going on there and i even though it wasn't something that immediately appealed to me the idea of it did which was let's let's push the boundaries of what we're calling this and it kind of does raise the question though for the most part if you're listening to screws in between piano where you just lean on the keys it's going to sound not great <laughs> relative to what people are used to doing. Yeah. Why would anyone want to listen to that type of music? What is appealing to that idea of just sort of having random noises occurring just to, even at random intervals? So anyway, that's what we'll be talking about today, which is why we, which is people, form the preferences for music that we have. So the psychology of how we develop our taste in music. And what you mean is why we listen to what we listen to. That's exactly what I mean. Thank you. <laughs> and the answer, as it turns out, is almost disappointingly simple. But there are a lot of interesting nuances that are really worth dissecting. And for some reason, I'm sort of constantly surprised by how little thought people have put into their own music preferences. And people are often surprised or confused or upset by other people's music preferences, which is kind of an interesting element of this. For example, when people hear that I like metal, I've gotten the response. What, what response do you think I've gotten so many times? How do you understand that stuff? That's one of them. Yep. How, how do you understand that? Uh, you know, do you even know what they're saying? That sort of thing. Yeah. Another one I get very, very commonly is that's the devil's music. <laughs> I don't I get mean, that. I must not hang out with people that like to call on the devil frequently. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's been a thing out. that's been said. I know it's like the satanic thing's been paired with it too in the past a lot. Yeah, and but not. It actually isn't paired with Satanism in any real way. It's no, just but like I know people, in media, I guess it has been right. 
Yeah, that yeah. association was made, not necessarily for any justified particular... reasons. Exactly. Yeah. So anyway, um, that's that's the thing that's happened, and so. I found myself often having to sort of justify why I like or like make excuses for it or apologize for liking the music that I like. And that's kind of weird to me. But I also think that there is this thing inside of this, which is sort of why do I like it at all? Why do people like the music they like? Why does Ryan like country music now and and also like Taylor Swift and and also somehow like EDM and and rock and metal all at the same time? How yeah. do those things work together? And why do most people like things that are uh, the mainstream or people like things? that are very weird like the soundtrack to annie for example or like that's maybe their favorite thing to listen to i'm not actually asking because i i don't think that there is a legitimate answer i'm asking because i think that there's a question that people might find themselves having sometimes and so i don't know let's go ahead and dive into the background of this all right so the background to start us off there's some version of music that can be found in every known human culture in the world and throughout most of human history if you find something that is opposed to that, please inform us. Yeah, for sure. I mean, music is something that we experience just about everywhere we go, if you think about it. I mean, from the post office to the gym to the airport to yoga to watching movies and and on and on, the grocery store. I mean, pretty much you name a place, they're probably going to have music there. You're in your car, you're walking around, you just hear music constantly. In fact, a couple of studies from 2006 and 2009, they went through finding all the places where you might be able to find some music and estimated that between exposure to background music or sort of incidental exposure to music. And then also in combination with the music we specifically choose to listen to, they estimate we're exposed to an excess of five hours of music per day. And for you, that's like triple that because you put on music all the time. Yeah. But just sort of your average listener who doesn't really consume music more than a lot of it. Yeah. A lot of my stuff's like bands, like, the American dollar, if these trees could talk, they're just kind of like background music for me to like keep focused with no words, but there's still music. I guess I'm not tuning in that whole time. If are people tuning in to five hours where it's just in no, the no. background? Yeah, that that included actual like intentional specific listening as well as background music, okay. which probably made up the majority of their exposure to yeah, it. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Depending on my days, that's double for sure. The yeah, <laughs> uh, the music industry is pretty interesting too. Like forty three billion dollars in 2017 with one of the most profitable years ever i'm assuming half of that went to t swift um (laughs) (laughs) i'm just kidding but like um dude her like one of her tours that reputation tour was like 217 million or something like that it's insane the cash around these sort of things yeah um but i guess like i would i would almost expect it to be bigger in some ways too just given how it's such a part of the human experience but I mean, $43 billion is nothing to sneeze at. That's a lot of money. <laughs> no, I mean, but like when you're talking about, I guess I could see why, like since so many people listen all over the place, I could see why the music industry is always mad that people are ripping music and things like Napster get thrown down the drain as, as soon as possible because right. there's a lot of room for growth in that number, I guess is what I'm, is I'm, get, what I'm getting at. Yeah. And I, I think that number does just include the production of music because another thing to consider is the the money that people put into ways of listening to music. So people will spend hundreds and even up to thousands of dollars, or if you're really rich, probably even more than that for no real reason, but for these really high quality pairs of headphones for listening to music, like people will drop regularly hundreds of dollars. And that's sort of your average Joe Schmo going around uh, with their, you know, Beats headphones or their 
uh, Bose headphones or whatever crazy brand I've never heard of because it cost $25,000 and would never show up on my radar, <laughs> like level headphones. And they probably sound absolutely incredible. And again, people with the resources or even just the interest will spend a lot of money on this. And this is really mostly just for listening to music. Apple Apple paid $3 billion for Beats. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, like yeah, there's money in this for sure. People will otherwise spend like tens of thousands of dollars and design booths in their home or these special rooms that are otherwise soundproof. And the only reason that those rooms exist is to listen to music. You and I actually know someone specifically who has done this. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, I know a professor that done this. <laughs> and we're not really going to be exploring these so-called audio files today, what that might mean and, and how prevalent it is and all that. But it is worth mentioning the culture that exists around this this level of enthusiastic preference for really high fidelity and high quality music production. I never realized how, uh, like why people would necessarily get so into it. I guess you have to sample that has been my perspective. Like one thing in video is I never realized, but because of creating more video content in the last couple of years, most TVs come with this standard thing that alters the colors so that they're more vivid when every creator that ever makes anything ever makes it to be perceived in a certain way and it's exported right. that way. So right. I can totally get why people like lose it when it's not the quote natural experience, which is what I think these audiophiles are trying to get at, right? They want to listen to it how it was intended to be created. Yeah, I mean, and I, I think that that's a little beyond the scope of what we're talking about today, but certainly a topic for the future is, is discussing audio files and, and why people are oriented to it that way. And I think you're probably right that at least that's part of it is listening to it as it was intended to be listened to by the producer of that music. Now, regardless of your approach to music, your preference for music, someone will try and make a buck off of it. Pretty much every niche that exists for possible music preference, someone is going to try and make some money by selling you something related to it. Now, going back to this psychology of preference for music, there are at least two prevailing theories for how we form our music preferences. First is the idea that it is a reflection of our inner cognition and personality. Or second, it is the context and exposure of our subjective experience with that music, or potentially some mixture of the two. So before we dive into those specific orientations, though, I think it's important to point out that research has long recognized that people often enjoy listening to a pretty wide variety of music, and they don't necessarily like every piece of music that might exist in their most highly preferred genre. So you got quite a bit of variability, and it makes it difficult to research. All right. So that then takes us to like, how do we, uh, quote, use music? How does it help us in our lives? When do we turn to it? Things like that. Um, and there are about as many different purposes for using music as there are types of music. But there are some like commonalities that seem to exist. For instance, many people use music to inspire and facilitate movements such as dancing by giving clear auditory cues for how to and when to position uh, our feet and bodies. I immediately think of country line dancing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. And I don't mean that in this that the the people make the cues. It's that the music cues those movements by having specific predictable rhythms that follow in a very uniform way. And so that those rhythms and the beats can serve as cues for put your body in this way to those beats. And those of you who are not watching this because you're not Patreon supporters can't see, but I'm wiggling as if I were dancing. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was great. Thanks. 
So some use music to regulate, elevate, or otherwise enhance our moods. I think movies also fall in this category too, yeah? Yeah, for sure. I think that they are intended to set the tone of particular scenes and things in, in a in a movie. And this is actually what I use, uh, why I listen to so much music sometimes in a day too, is I listen to it for certain types of tasks to try to trigger, I don't know, what I would call, air quote, a mood, right? Evoke sure. certain patterns and, and certain... Uh, uh, thought processes, I guess. Do you yeah. do that as well? No. Um, I actually am kind of, for myself, I am an advocate of bleeding genres over where I don't think that they belong. So I listen okay. to something heavy and loud and aggressive when I'm trying to go to sleep. I listen to something calm and slow <laughs> and relaxing when I'm trying to stay awake. And not necessarily always like that, but I, I, mostly it's because I get pumped up by music that I like, just irrespective of what genre it is attached to. So a song that I really love that's slow and melodic and, and just really like relaxed in its pace and cadence, I would very much listen to if I were trying to get pumped up about something because I enjoy it so much that I feel that level of arousal. And I, I don't feel like I need to have my mood linked to some particular pacing of the music. And that's just, that's just me. I sort of have that intentional approach to it. But I think just another way of talking about this in terms of how we use music in this way is to, is to say that we can lean on music's association, like these different genres, these elements of music, they're often associated with other common contextual cues for certain experiences that that reproduce those feelings commonly felt in those situations. Okay. I wasn't saying for that, anyone could pause and like turn they, you, you have that song somewhere that you can turn on that starts to trigger that, right? It's going to be individual for everybody, but yeah. it's out there. Right. And so those types of music are often associated with situations such that we become, I guess just to say we, we become easily, um, persuaded, I guess, by the cues that those music ser- that that music serves as because it has that association with those other situations. So, with respect to using music to influence our emotions, we might specifically be trying to regulate our emotions to increase our quote unquote energy and therefore improve our performance on some task. As you mentioned, you might choose a genre that just gets you feeling more sort of energetic as you're listening to it as a beat maybe or um, intense in some way or something like that. An example of this, there was one of the athletes on the show, American Ninja Warrior, which I, I like to watch as a guilty pleasure show for me, that uh, this one performer often runs the obstacle courses with headphones in. He's one of the only ones who does this and he's listening to music. And so it seems that at least for him, he's using music in this way to create the energy that he needs to perform on those obstacle courses. Some people simply use music for the aesthetic appreciation and enjoyment of the sounds. And this is not fundamentally dissimilar to using it to invoke an emotional reaction, except that listening to music for the joy of listening to music does not have a specific emotional payoff other than sort of just feeling the joy, happiness, and familiarity with that, with whatever that song is. Others use it for distraction, so mitigating boredom or loneliness or just to have some sort of stimulation. Uh, I know a lot of people that turn music on when they get home, right? If it's an empty house or sure, or if they're doing certain sort of things alone, whether that's running or whatever it is, 
And the idea here is essentially we might, we might use music to enrich an otherwise underwhelming environment, whatever that is for you. Yeah. Some people will use music to form at least a part of the concept of their identity and belongingness to a group. And because the cues in music can form a specific association with that group or the context to which belonging is important to us, the music can come to represent that group and therefore our identity and our place inside of that group. So someone might think of this culturally as music that is produced by and relevant to the culture in which they belong. They might listen to music that their friends listen to or that their siblings listen to or that their significant other listens to because then that music becomes associated with those people and starts to have different emotional meanings and that sort of thing. So going to shift gears a little bit here. We've talked about personality on this podcast. There's a whole nother episode, but there's this personality theory when it comes to music preference. So do us some justice here, Abraham. You're up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'll just I'll I'll reiterate the point that we made earlier that essentially there are those two prevailing theories. One of them is that music is a reflection of our inner cognition and personality. And the other one that music is the subjective experience that we have when we listen to music in in a particular context. And then, of course, one might argue it could be a combination of those two things. Let's go to the personality theory, which is that there there have been a lot of people in several studies that have tried to superimpose the sort of big five personality traits over music preference with this hypothesis that music can accurately predict or reflect what that person, what the personality is of the person who has chosen that music. So now you can start feeling really guilty about your guilty pleasure music because it's a reflection of who you are inside in a, in a dark, sadistic way. Just kidding. Now, while some people might put an enormous amount of time and energy into, the, into this, the research has only produced some moderately consistent findings. So although there have been those who have argued that and really done a lot of quote-unquote research into trying to superimpose personality on top of music preference – the majority of the well-controlled studies out there have shown that there is just, there's not a lot of consistent overlap and it, it makes it a little bit difficult. And also, again, the fact that music itself is so variable. And again, people will like certain genres, but not every song inside that genre, or they will like some songs that are not necessarily in their preferred, preferred genres. So, and then music taste can vary quite a bit as yours does, Ryan. So specifically, the personality traits of quote-unquote openness and quote-unquote extroversion are referred to as being plastic, which is to say they're more contextually flexible and are more easily associated with music preference than other traits, such as neuroticism and conscientiousness. And so openness, which, I mean, kind of just refers to open-mindedness, if you Mm want to think about it that way, is generally associated with preferences for more complex, novel, intense, and rebellious music, such as jazz, punk, R&B, heavy metal, alternative, classical, and blues. And then there also tends to be an appreciation for kind of sad, if you will, uh, sad, slow music among those people with high levels of what you might might call openness in their personality. So pretty much everything that has an instrument seems like it might sort of work <laughs> for, for people who would be right high on that. Now, um, <laughs> Extroversion personality is associated with more upbeat conventional music, electronic and dance, and genres such as hip-hop, rap, and soul. 
Uh, major keys and fast tempos with melodic themes and an emphasis on vocals are commonly found in music preference for those people who would ha- be described as having an extroverted personality type. So formulaic, simple, repetitive, and usually instrumentless music tends to be more in line with the preferences for people who would be described as ex- extroverts. Although this is culturally specific, as you might imagine, some cultures that dance to rock and roll will actually like dance or will like that rock music because it's the most quote unquote dancey. So I know that there was one culture I was reading about and I don't remember where they were at now, but for them, the sort of rock and roll, distorted guitars, heavy drum style stuff, that's the most popular stuff because that's the stuff they use to dance to. And so there's not anything intrinsically about that music that those extroverted people are are really looking for. It's the fact that it is, popular and ubiquitous and used for dancing. Whereas in this other culture, it's a different type of music that's popular and ubiquitous and used for dancing. And therefore that's what people tend to just like. Um, the personality trait, again, pulling from that big five conscientiousness is associated loosely with things that are not the music of openness, personality types, because conscientiousness and openness seem to just be diametrically opposed here in a way. So people who are conscientious tend to like the upbeat, culturally ubiquitous, simply structured, very plain Jane sort of music, if you will. Uh, The personality trait of agreeableness is also associated with conventional music. It's generally whatever people around them like. So people who would rate highly as being agreeable are going to just kind of like what people around them say that they should like. That you just tell them you should like T Swift, and they'll say okay, thank you, and then I'll say you should like something else, <laughs> and they'll say okay, thank you, just please like me. Just kidding. <laughs> and then finally, neuroticism is the last one. This is associated again not with rebellious music, as you might think. At least I would think that had a high level of neuroticism might prefer some of that rebellious music, but actually they're more associated with that upbeat and conventional music and things like country and pop and and music that leans into emotions heavily, especially with respect to the lyrics, um, big instrumental swells, probably that sort of thing. So that is a, a big overview of the personality theory of why people like might like the music they like is that it reflects those traits of them, right? So if you are someone who would be described as extroverted, then you're going to like those things that appeal to that trait, I guess, is sort of the hypothesis that's working from there. Now, I didn't dig a lot into the criticisms of that, mostly because I felt like they were a little self-explanatory. For one thing, almost all of them referred to the same types of music, generally speaking. It's pretty much (laughs) all but one are like, we like upbeat, happy music. I'm like, okay, yeah, great, great. Um, and then pretty much all but it's one. Also, I mean, it's it's built off this premise that those five personality traits are like the most solid scientific evidence-based thing ever too, right? Well, and then I think, I mean, yes, and the other major problem of this is then those personality traits are descriptive. They are, here are the things you tend to do. We describe that tendency to do those things as this. You don't, you literally cannot say, you cannot say that you like to be around people because you're extroverted. You can say you like to be around people and we would describe the tendency to want to be around people as extroverted. But if I were to ask that question, coming back again to the topic of circular reasoning, this is just basic logical fallacy here. Why do you like to be around people? Because you're extroverted. How do you know you're extroverted? Because you like to be around people. 
It does not make sense to imply a cause-effect relationship there. It's just a description. You like to be around people. That's fine. But then to then say that you're extroverted, so you therefore like this music, is again a cause-effect relationship. You're simply saying people who tend to like this music, we'd also describe them as being extroverted. It is simply descriptive. There is no cause-effect relation there. So it doesn't make a lot of sense to try and say that it's caused by the personality. And so in that way, it doesn't make a lot of sense to say it reflects that personality because reflecting on that personality is exactly the same thing as saying caused by, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Um, there is not a difference at all in those two things in, in terms of how they're used. So just something to, to consider when you're talking about how personality might be associated with this, you can certainly have some statistical correlations won't tell you why you like that music. Exactly. So the next one we're going to jump into is contextual exposure to music. That essentially this hypothesis states that we are most likely to enjoy the music that we are exposed to the most in the most positive context. So there's a bit of a common sense in this hypothesis in that you have to be exposed to the music to form some sort of opinion about it. And it makes sense that we are more likely to enjoy music with which we have a favorable association as opposed to an aversive association with or experience. So, for example, we are highly likely to prefer music that we hear when we are meeting and spending time with our best friends, when they tell us that this music is something that we'll really enjoy, that we like, right? So if we rewind back to 10 years ago when you gave me all this music, you're like, hey, if you like these people, you're probably going to really like all this sort of stuff. I listened to all of the music you gave me. I would have never listened to every single song over like a hundred albums or whatever it was. <laughs> yeah. Um, right. If we had not shared, you know, some sort of common interest and love over like certain types of music uh, in that work environment where we're at. Yeah, absolutely. And then people will probably have had the experience that someone said, oh, I really like this band. Do you like them? And your response is not generally going to be, I hate you for liking that music. You're the worst. But you might actually then listen to that a little bit more thoughtfully than you would have if it just sort of came on. And they're like, hey, here's some music. You should listen to it. For example, if it just came on the radio or if you happen to be somewhere or something like that, then you you wouldn't necessarily have any reason to feel anything good about that music unless it well, I don't want to say why you might enjoy it. We'll get to that. I'm, I'm, I'm going to avoid spoiling the big reveal. That's not a big reveal at all. <laughs> <laughs> so for the most part, this starts uh, getting locked in during our teenage years. And by the time that we turn 20, we have a fairly committed music preference. I'm not saying it's because of your teenage years and like you turn that age and all right. of a sudden, bam, they're there. It's just that's where a lot of uh, this history starts to be compounded. Um, a lot of this... Uh, history of just reinforcement and listening to different things and all your social connections, preferences, pressures, I guess, as well, start to, to start to impact this. Yeah, I think I think uh, there's a couple of important things going on during those times. And one of those is that you're starting to build some of the m- most profound and lasting relationships that you're going to have in your life. And so the music that you're starting to listen to at that time is, is going to be associated with the person that the personality that you're forming, the the patterns of behavior that you're starting to develop that become consistent. And you will often see, not like 100%, but when there are major life changes that happen, that you'll often see that is associated with a shift in music uh, preference as well. If the new life event is associated with a new type of music, mm-hmm. 
or that there is some major aversive life event that is associated unfavorably with something you used to like. And so I've known people who loved certain songs that they associated very, very strongly with a significant other. And when that relationship ended, would not listen to that music anymore. Uh, it was me and country. That's what I was describing. Yeah, exactly. Um, or there are people who that they won't even listen. To, they will specifically avoid uh, songs that they know that their significant other liked, even if they didn't like yeah. them, uh, they, yeah. you know, maybe, maybe felt neutral toward them, but yeah. yeah so me. just thinking about, that was me for like four years and now we're cool. And like, everything's not a big deal. <laughs> right. Sure, yeah. Sure it can take a while. The podcast podcast episode. <laughs> probably, <laughs> probably. Hopefully. Welcome yeah. back. <laughs> to Ryan's if so, uh, <laughs> laugh with me, um, yeah. please. <laughs> but yeah, just to say that you think about those teenage years, those are when you have your, some of your most important relationships are going to start to develop. And then after you are moving more into adulthood, you're going to start to settle in your major career. And oftentimes that too is associated with a big shift in the context in which you hear music. And so your preference might change again. But at that point, you also, as you said, you have that compounded history of having really liked certain things about music and that that's going to appeal to you. So your preference is likely to shift less that second time than it did the first time. So just thinking about, of course, as we're going on through life, we're going to hear new songs and we'll pick up some favorite songs periodically, some new favorites and whatnot. But generally, we won't stray dramatically far from what we've been listening to, except for, as I said, those sort of major events. And then we'll kind of drift into new types of music. And that'll be sort of this gradual overlapping thing where as we change lanes a little bit to something we listen to more than what we were listening to. It's kind of this transition phase that takes place. And it usually does not mean completely ruling one thing out, but just not listening to it as much as the other thing. And so this contextual exposure hypothesis, which I want to make sure I clarify, I made that name up. Nobody actually called it that. It's just, that's, that's essentially what hypothesis. There you go. (laughs) The Abraham hypothesis. That's, I mean, that's what it amounted to. And I thought that that was an appropriate title for it since that's basically what it was describing. But this hypothesis would explain why people prefer music unique to their culture, which might sound like intolerable noise to someone from a different culture. And I'll admit, and I, I I don't feel proud of this at all, but I hear music from other cultures that's very different from what I'm used to. And it never really stands out to me as something that I really enjoy very much. And it is nothing at all against that culture or against the style that they, that those people have become fond of. It's just that I have no history of exposure to that music in a way that would make me lean toward that as something that I want to listen to. So it would take a long, a lot of building up exposure and familiarity with that for me to want to pick that up. Or I guess, let me say that differently. It would take a lot of exposure and building up to, for it to start to I guess feel more like music that is that appeals to me when I hear it immediately. Cool. Okay, yeah. Dig. And then furthermore about this hypothesis is that it remains consistent with our observations about what people like. You know, everybody that has a preference for some type of music has had exposure to that type of music and views it favorably. Which <laughs> I mean that's yeah. essentially what this boils down to. Yeah, and the the major point here is that we like what is familiar once we find something that becomes air quote, familiar. So artists often capitalize on this by building in familiarity into their song structure, their songs, uh, by using repetition sometimes uh, to a really extreme degree. Yeah, songs that just repeat over and over and over again for the entire song. Look at this photograph. <laughs> exactly. 
Um, oh, God. <laughs> um, oh, man. So uh, most of these songs follow the structure, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus, end. These verses yeah. are... Spoiler alert. Next time you listen to a song, you'll hear it. Oh, yeah. Maybe. It's always there. Um, almost always there. So the verses use the same music, melodies, and sometimes same or similar lyrics, um, or at least lyrical patterns. The chorus is exactly identical and sometimes has minor variations, uh, but that's probably just to keep the, the people playing the instruments awake, right? <laughs> Possibly. Um, <laughs> the, <laughs> the, bridge, the bridge is for them to take a big big swig of uh, booze before they hit the next sad chorus that they're used to playing over and over again. Yep. Um, I'm just totally kidding. But <laughs> the bridge uh, throws in just enough variety to break up the monotony and create a tiny amount of tension that is uh, resolved by returning to the familiar chorus. I think, I don't know. I mean, we're used to this, right? And you're totally, there's so much, I guess this also br- brings me to the thought of like, it's, for the artist, it also allows you some sort of stable understanding of like who your listener base is, right? And and what will work so that you can continue to thrive in your career. Like people don't deviate too far away from what they typically do because of that sense of it's going to create the same listener experience for the fan base that we're used to. Like I'm thinking of the most recent Bring to the Horizon album that came out. It went from <laughs> the most heavy metal band five years before to a pop album that came out. And yeah, their their original one. hardcore uh, fan base, including myself to some extent, was like pissed, upset. Yeah. Can I say pissed on this podcast? Yes. Okay. Sorry. Upset. <laughs> if especially just looking back at older music, sometimes this becomes even. Well, no, I'm not gonna say it becomes more obvious. It's very obvious. There's there is no hiding. There is no trickery here. It is very plainly designed so that it can capitalize on this familiarity. And I, I think personally that that's sort of the fact of the episode is that the big, the big secret here is familiarity and familiarity with it in a positive way. Like that's, that's kind of basically what it comes down to. And sure. so, yeah. So even songs that you don't necessarily like or choose to listen to that much, if you've been exposed to them enough, when they come on, you'll actually have that feeling of a little bit of enjoyment from it because it's familiar. <laughs> I mean, you can try this with a lot of stuff. It works pretty much all the time. Hence my love of country, Abraham. Yeah. I listened to it while driving for two years straight. And hence my Uh, disdain for it. (laughs) Um, Very little familiarity and no desire to build any. Some people are probably... uh, I I guarantee if I give you three... Let's do this. If you're listening to this and you love country, let's challenge Abraham to three albums. Please write us in on what albums those would be. And and pick wisely here please pick wisely here i want to challenge him really well i've got one that i'm thinking of i don't want to say now i want to see what the listeners have to say that i think you would enjoy um, okay a very little bit but enough to be like i respect that i'm not gonna listen to it again but i do respect that that's all i'm looking for well if if anybody has suggestions I'll, i'll help you by saying that i really like music that takes some amount of talent to produce so like I'm looking for people who are good at their instruments, who are good at writing, who are creative and thoughtful and write things that are, this is something I intended to really convey some, some sort of message with not lyrically. I don't really care about lyrics, but the, the point that it is musically interesting is, was the criteria I most yeah. frequently apply. Well, no, we'll kick them back. You should get three albums that will kick back to anybody that writes in. 
That they oh, there explore. you go. I like that. No, yeah. we don't have to say them on here. Yeah, if you write yeah. in, then I'll I'll make some recommendations, and then we'll we'll if we both commit to it, then I'll I'll listen yeah. to some albums. I'll listen to I'll listen to both sides. I'll there commit to go. listen to both sides, uh, listener and as well as Abraham's recommendation. So, yeah. um, <laughs> this gets us gets us to the point of like, could it really be so simple? And the answer is yes. Even a study published in 2017 showed that common chord combinations found to be highly preferable among the majority of people in a Western culture were neutral or even unpleasant to people in other cultures whose music used different chord progressions, instrument types, and song structure. It doesn't really blow my mind too much. Yeah. And that was just going back to what I said earlier, is that music from other cultures I've mostly feel ambivalent, sort of neutral toward, because I I don't really have a familiarity with it, so it doesn't really mean anything to me, whereas it might mean a lot to the people who are inside that culture. Um, and then they have the exact same response to the music that I tend to like or that anybody from a Western culture might tend to like is because that's just not part of their culture. So there is sort of like, okay, sure, good for you. And I mean, to add on all of this, savvy radio hosts have actually known this for some time. In his book, The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg, whose subtitle is Why We Do What We Do, <laughs> um, told, told a story about the song Hey Ya by Outkast. Hey Ya! <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> um, when this hey was. Hey Ya! <laughs> When the song was going through the ranks of the producers, it was anticipated to be this huge hit. They're like, the song is super catchy. It's awesome. People are going to love it. But when they put it on the radio stations, people were changing the station whenever it came on the radio when the, fir- when the song was first released. I mean, people just hated it. And it was really baffling to the producers. What they started doing, however, is they started playing familiar, highly preferred songs immediately before and after Hey Ya came on the radio. Specifically, they used Celine Dion, I guess, because people would stay tuned in up to there was up to a 3% boost in listens uh, whenever Celine Dion came on the radio. And so they would just sandwich that around um, the Hey Ya song. And after a few weeks, people began to really listen and enjoy Hey Ya. And eventually it rose to peak at number one on the Billboard Top 100 in December of 2003. So this is a song that went from people disliking entirely to being the most popular song in the country for a period of time. Yes, like to get you to like a new song, they literally simply associate that with songs you already like. Exactly. Like that's all they did. And then you like it. <laughs> I mean, this is how the music industry has figured out how to most effectively take your money. <laughs> they just say, hey, you like this. You're also going to like this now. Give me your money. And then everyone goes, okay. <laughs> I want to know who is like these controllers in the music industry. I'd love to have a conversation with them. I don't think you'd ever get that on air. Yeah. Um, and you might have a gun to your head, <laughs> depending on what you're talking about. <laughs> but right. um, it would be really interesting to talk about, like, are there true hard things where they're like, this is what I'm going to implement? Because um, yeah. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised. Like, there are, even if they're not set exact steps, there's usually strategies that tend to work like this all over the place that you don't even know about. I think they've got the formula pretty well down pat that they're just going to keep recycling it over and over and over until the human race dies out. But um, <laughs> but now I think we both probably have a little red dot shining on our forehead and someone's yeah. about to shoot I mean, us we're the just window. like some podcast people. Um, yeah, nobody I, think cares. The, I think other people are, are a little bit higher on that list than us. That's true. So as we tend to get more or less locked into our music choice, certain elements of the music we like tend to stand out to us if we are going to pick up new artists um, songs or genres moving forward. So for instance, if your music preference is unstructured dissonance, then you're likely 
going to prefer a new song if it's also unstructured and dissonant. This sounds like uh, something you do listen to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then if if a song is going to be repetitive and use the same four chords as all the other songs that you tend to like, then you're probably going to like a new song that's also repetitive and uses <laughs> the same four songs or the same four chords of songs you tend to like. And that's just, it's, it is whatever is familiar to you is the thing that is going to be appealing about it because it's that familiarity in that association with a positive context or a, a, a favorable context. So for the most part in Western culture, popular music hasn't radically changed in the last 50 or 60 years or so. As a matter of fact, I found one study that analyzed over 450,000 music recordings and found that song structure, chords, rhythms, and melodies <laughs> have been almost completely homogenous. That is completely identical for the last two to three generations or so. The, matter of fact, they said that the only thing that has changed is the volume and then a little bit the pitch. So if you like popular Western music, then you're in luck. Music probably isn't going to change at all for the future. And most songs that will come out will appropriately enough sound like the songs that you're used to. So you'll continue to enjoy quote unquote new music as it's released because you'll be subtly manipulated into thinking that it's different from what you've been listening to, which is why I said they've got the formula down. You know what I mean? It's from here on out, as far as we can see, it is this, whatever song you turn on the radio and hear, that is a song you're going to be listening to for the rest of your life. It's slightly different voice, slightly different, tempo maybe probably not tempo that, that stays pretty consistent slightly different pitch and it'll get louder and louder it'll probably reach a point at which it can't get any louder but that's about what it's going to look like from here on out at least for the foreseeable future until we decide to stop making music or care about the music that we make but hey you have new music forever that it'll probably appeal to you in, in one way or another <laughs> all right so now on to other interesting tidbits this is a great section yeah yeah, so in 2011, uh, a researcher named Peter Rentfro, he's published a number of articles, and his colleagues published a study in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology identifying that preference uh, for music wasn't shaped around genres, but around five other factors of the style either being uh, of the music, either being mellow, urban, sophisticated, intense, or campestral. And I think they chose that last word because it... Uh, makes the acronym music out <laughs> yeah. of the five factors that they associated there. Um, and so theirs was, again, was looking more at those elements of the music itself and found that there were there was some orderliness to their data. But uh, again, it was mostly a statistical thing that they did. The next one, and uh, please don't shoot the messenger out here, but women tend to prefer popular music in Western cultures. Men tend to prefer more exaggerated bass than women. Just something that showed up in the study. Um, not something that we're claiming is definitively accurate, just something that has been surveyed. People tend to like music that was available when they were teenagers, and so age can actually be really important in predicting the kind of music that someone will like. In one survey, people tend to prefer more complex, air quote, music in the fall and winter, but faster, more rhythmic music in the summer. Interestingly, though, people liked pop uh, no matter the season. It's just universally loved. And either that or the music industry just plays it year round, make sure make sure we're good to go, huh? That's probably much more what's going on here. <laughs> uh, people will often select music with lyrics that reflect their opinions and views of themselves, create that nice little echo chamber, so you never have to think about something other than what you're comfortable with. Which something I will say real quick on the uh, the music industry and like can they control those sort of things? There was a company that sets out I can't remember what it is off the top of my head, but they set out like what the color of the year is. 
Um, and this is to try to recommend like brands leverage this sort of thing. And apparently it's because of the psychology of our larger culture. It's a whole thing we could get into. However, what was interesting about that is that they were supposedly doing all the research they thought to be able to set what this color of the year was. But they got to the point where they're like, we are this entity that puts us out so much that people just pretty much listen to what we have to say. Like there might not be a color of the year. Right. Yeah. And it yeah, turned they, out they just dropped the pretense. Yeah. And, and, yeah, and it turned out, it. yeah, their behavior as that singular entity that the entire, uh, that all these industries were looking at really started to be the influence. And so it was a pretty cool, interesting thing where like the industry realized, oh, wait, we are the ones that are basically setting this. Like it wasn't a psychology right. color of the year. It was just we're we have enough stature in the world to where people listen to us as the people that set the color for the year. I was actually going to say when you were commenting earlier about the the artists sort of knowing their listener base by using familiar like song types. I think it's not necessarily about discovering what people like as it is creating things and forcing people to like it. That seems to be more what happens is it's just people who are saying this is what's going to be popular because this is something that we can make money off of. Songs are short, so we can sell more songs. If songs were long, complex, thoughtful, well-written songs, we wouldn't have as many songs to sell because it takes so much longer to get through them. So we're going to sell these short, repetitive jingles, and that's going to be the thing that we make popular and put it out there because it's easy to digest on your first listen. You'll listen to it, get used to it, forget about it, move on to the next song. That's exactly the same thing. <laughs> and and then that way they create the market. And so, yeah, I think the idea of like looking at... Um, we got to know what people really want is almost, it's kind of silly because you are creating the thing that people are listening to. You decide what people want in a way. And yeah, if it's terrible, then most people aren't going to listen to it, but you can also kind of just make them listen to it because one, they won't have a lot of options. And two, you just combine it with Celine Dion and boom, you've got a, you've got a banger. <laughs> I don't, I don't know if I totally agree with all that, but like what I would say is that with modern technology, there's enough tools now i think that are disposable like these things are getting commoditized to where um if you create it you can start to find your audience a lot easier too right like the fact that we can upload this podcast consistently for two years it will eventually find the type of person that we're really looking to convince to click into it right yeah if you don't have control over the market then you definitely have to find the people that okay, will yeah patronize your business if you do have control over the market I was gonna say, as usual we're, we're on the same page we're just talking at different levels <laughs> there you go that's fine. yeah all right so to get us back into these interesting tidbits people who listen to heavy metal are not i say again are not categorically more aggressive than people who like pop or other kinds of music yeah this is <laughs> i know mine's just blue <laughs> i i am I, I am a self-proclaimed pacifist on sort of the extreme end of pacifism. Like I am not an aggressive person in the slightest. Mm -hmm. I don't tend to do things aggressively or look for aggressive things out in the world. And and I really, really like metal, metal music. It does not have anything to do with being aggressive or angry at all. And I want to make sure that point is well made is that you don't listen. I don't listen to metal music because I'm angry and other people I know who like metal music do not listen to metal music because they're angry or aggressive. We're just people who like the music we like. So there, deal with it. <laughs> As a matter of fact, one neurology study looked at the brains of people who loved metal while they were listening to metal music. And what do you think that they actually found? They're just super calm and really stoked about life. 
I mean, kind of, yeah. They found that what they were looking for is that there is this high emotional intensity around the region of their brain that would be associated with angry emotions. And what they actually found was that their brains were active in, in regions that are associated generally with happiness. And so let me just say that another way. People were happier when they listened to their favorite music. And this apparently <laughs> came as a huge surprise to some people that that kind of genre made them happy. Because what? they're just like... I Someone know, was biased like, and, and thought yeah. something else? Exactly. As like, a human, a you were biased. You're not. What? <laughs> the the research is like you don't. You're not listening to music that I love, but you're enjoying it, even though I don't like it. That doesn't make any sense. And I'm just like, I heard this on the news, and I was just, it was a total face palm moment. I'm like, yeah. oh my god, really? That's the thing that surprises you? There was. Uh, um, oh, I remember there was a time where like I was taught that mosh pits are like the the devil in a sense. Like they're like the weirdest thing. <laughs> And uh, I remember seeing them on MTV and things like that. And then uh, being a number in a number of them, like, I don't know, number of like is somewhere between like probably 150 and 200 of them. <laughs> um, I I found that they are some of the like uh, craziest yet like kindest places ever. Like there's rules of like if you get knocked down, everybody helps somebody back up. And as yeah. counterproductive as that may seem to like what you see them as, it's way different than I think what a lot of outsiders think it is. I tend to avoid them just because I, I don't like being a part of them. I love that they exist and I love that people have fun doing them. But my experience with being around them is that people are very kind to one another in those in those pits. Unless there are people who go in there specifically with like a bone to pick with someone else or just to cause chaos. But the overwhelming majority, I mean like the 99% of people who go in there are very kind and respectful to one another and they make sure that people don't get hurt. And so that's just something, another myth to bust, I guess, if people have that thought. So yeah, it's not like you can't go out there and find some sort of instance where there's something like that happened, right? Negative. Right. And you'll, you'll find people who listen to metal music who are angry and aggressive. It's just not, a, it's not, a definitive categorical thing. For sure. Now, I'm going to change gears a little bit and talk about there is this neurology hypothesis to music preference, but I didn't include it here. I mean, there are these people who believe that music preferences are hardwired into our brains essentially from birth, or at least at once are exposed to music. But really, the current research has made that all but impossible to defend. It really shows that music preference is way too variable from culture to culture and from instance to instance to be something that we could possibly be pre-programmed with. And so it just doesn't really make sense. I, at most, I think you could say we have a capacity to appreciate music or the, the rhythmic presentation of those sounds, but that's about as far as that goes. And then finally, there was this one study that asked people to take a personality test, then listen to 50 pieces of music, and then rate them. And the researchers were looking for what they called empathizers and sympathizers. And the empathizers prefer, generally speaking, more soft, easy, familiar, repetitive, simple unpretentious contemporary music reacting basically on their feelings of what's comfortable and easy whereas the systematizers tend to prefer the more high complexity intensity sophistication and cerebral depth in their music and so they were reacting instead based on analyzing and deconstructing the sonic features of the music and how the components of the song relate to the song as a whole and although i can relate to some of that this doesn't seem to be based necessarily on super objective criteria and they they lumped these into very broad genres so uh, hard to say what could be derived from that study all right so it's uh take home time choo 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 yep 
You ready? That yep. was our transition sound. So right, loved it. The most de- definitive statement you can make about someone's preference for music is that it is something that they are familiar with, and that they are likely exposed to that music through positive experiences, especially socially. Yeah. I, another one I think that is probably worth including in here is that most people don't really put a lot of active effort into choosing the music that they like for any particular reason. Most people kind of just absorb what they're around when they're developing that taste, and then they seek out the type of music that they that's familiar to them. I mean, full stop. That's just about what most people's music experience is like, is that they are around music, and then if they look for music, they look for the thing that they were around, and that's about as much thought really goes into it. And this had me thinking about things where I'm like, I feel like I put a lot of thought and consideration into the music that I tend to like and listen to, and will specifically try things that I'm unfamiliar with because it hits certain criteria of those things. But it made me think about what are some things that other people put a lot of thought and effort into that I don't. And one of the ones I was thinking of actually is things like painting and art specifically, like (laughs) the visual medium where I'll look at something and say, looks nice to me. And an art critic would look at that and be like, that is disgusting trash and no one should like it. (laughs) And I honestly wouldn't know the difference because I was doing that with a video today, actually. Yeah. (laughs) Where I had that like visceral reaction of like, this is the biggest piece of crap I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) And it's like 10 times the view count of what I usually put out. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's those things where it's, we, we look at it from a critical eye because of our experience with it. And there are just some things I don't have their critical eye. And that's going to be true for many people about music. And that's not an indictment of their, uh, their music preference or their taste. That's not to say that people are bad or stupid for this consideration. Just that it's something that most people tend to not really think, oh, I wonder if I should like this because of X, Y, and Z. It's more like, hey, this sounds familiar to me. I like it. And that's okay. It's just that tends to be how those things get shaped up. So when trying to ask the question of, why do we like the music that we like? It's because <laughs> it's because it's familiar and we like it and we know that we <laughs> like it. And that's something we heard before and it was good then. <laughs> so there it is. And, uh, and, uh, and that's, that's kind of our last take home point here, which is although there are some correlations amongst types of personalities and approaches to music, people prefer wide ranges and styles of music and not every song inside their preferred genre or genres. Yep. All right, cool. Well, you, do you have anything else, take-homes or otherwise? No. I know we have a, an exciting listener mail to get to, though. Yeah, sweet. So, cool. Let's do a quick listener mail. All right, I'll read it up. Perfect. All right, so this is from Andrew down in Victoria, Australia. So I quote, Hi, love the show and the fact that you guys share so much info. Here in Victoria, Australia, my role is a PBIS coach. That's Positive Behavior Intervention and Support uh, Coach, so... They call it SWPBS here, um, which is about helping schools implement the PBIS framework. My background is a mainstream and special education teacher. I'm wondering if you guys could do a show that aimed at teachers that focuses on positive and negative reinforcement to encourage expected school-wide behaviors. I'm pretty good at putting this into teacher-friendly language, but I always learn something when I hear you explain these concepts with a psychology background. I also really love the five to one show um, as the theory is really a foundational or a foundation part of my work, end quote. 
Perfect. I mean, first, thanks for uh, writing in, Andrew. Um, really appreciate the uh, the kind words and also the request. You know, it's always actually very flattering to to get requests like this. So I have added this to the list. Um, we might try and get this out before the school goes back into session in Australia, which I looked up when I actually asked. Andrew to chime in with that. And he gave me some dates when it starts to go in. So we'll try and get that one recorded fairly soon because that's coming up. And, um, and also, yeah, I'm glad that you enjoyed the five to one show and everything. So, um, cool. Man, that'd be a killer name for a show. The five to one show, the five to one <laughs> show. Yeah, that is, a, that is a good name. <laughs> that rings well. Cool. Yeah. And I, I echo Abraham here. Thank you so much. It's cool to read these things. Cool. And then for everyone else who's listening, thank you for listening in. Uh, If you would like to support the show, please rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts or share it with your friends. And of course, you can find us on all the social media platforms. And if you ask your smart speaker to play why we do what we do, it will do that thing for you. And so um, that's pretty much all I've got today. Um, If you would like to write in and let us know something that you want us to cover, then you may do so. If you would like to tell us about uh, your music preferences, um, I'd love to hear that. And if you want to recommend some albums for me to listen to, I'm I'm happy to hear those as well. So um, you can reach us for all of those things, info at www.wwdpodcast.com. Yes. Super stoked. All right. I think that's it. Yeah. We good? Yep. We good? I think we're good. All right. Perfect. This is Rhino. This is Abraham. We are out. You've been listening to Why We Do What We Do. Why We Do What We Do is supported in part by our amazing patrons. Thank you. If you like what you heard, consider becoming a patron by heading to patreon.com slash podcast. You can also rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts or share this episode with your friends. If you have any comments or questions, we'd love to hear from you. Find us at WWD Podcast on your favorite social media platforms. You can learn more about this and other episodes by going to www.wwdpodcast.com. There, you'll find links as well as detailed and shareable show notes. Why We Do What We Do is researched and produced by Abraham, Ryan O, Shane, and Miranda. Artwork and logo design by Andrew Pollock at nogdesigns.com. Video and production assistance from Tyler Brassier with music courtesy of Justin Greenhouse. Thanks for listening, and we hope you have an awesome day. I don't know what's going on there. (laughs) You're just really excited. I know, right?